Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we're looking at the second uh, episode, or or you could say the first episode after the pilot movie of the TV series 1975, The Invisible Man. This episode is entitled The Clay Resource. Dan and Kate Weston have settled into their new life as the Clay Resource. In exchange for funding to try to reverse Dan's permanent invisibility, they perform espionage services at the behest of the U.S. government. Lionel Parks is a multimillionaire, tycoon, and inventor. He owns a number of Las Vegas casinos and reportedly lives in the penthouse of one of them. He is notoriously reclusive, and no one, apart from his right-hand man, Jim Fielder, has seen him for years. The Energy Department has come asking the Clay Resource for help, even though they don't know what it is. Park's company has developed a technique to triple the yield of refined petroleum products from crude oil. He's also placed the product up for bid, and the highest bidder is an Arab nation. Parks is an ultra-patriot, and they cannot believe he would sell to the Arabs. But when they call him with a voice analyzer device, Fielder uses a computer to simulate Parks's voice. The voice analyzer at the Clay Corporation cannot identify it as a fake. Dan is sent to Las Vegas to get inside and find out if Parks is still alive or somehow under the control of Fielder. This should be a piece of cake, because Dan Weston is... The Invisible Man! His first attempt is quite simple. He walks in, invisible, and, with a variety of minor ruses, gets the guards to open the various doors he needs to pass through. Alone in the computer room, he discovers the computer that simulates Parks' voice. He also finds a locked elevator door and an alarm system that is triggered by his physical presence. Gas is released into the room. Luckily, the gas doesn't incapacitate Dan enough that he cannot escape, but they will have to come up with a plan B. Plan B is this. Dan uses his powers of invisibility to rig it so that Kate wins big at the tables. First roulette, and then craps. When Fielder gets interested, Dan, now visible again, explains they have an unbeatable system, and they'll sell it to Parks. But only Parks. No deal. Parks sees no one. Dan explains it's also the system that allows him to know that they have a computer that simulates Parks' voice in the computer room upstairs. His hand forced, Fielder calls the limo to take them to the farm to see Parks. In reality, it's a one-way ride to their death. Luckily, Dan has an ace up his sleeve. He just needs to strip off all his clothes while in the backseat of a limo being driven by two armed thugs, and he'll be... The Invisible Man! This he does, and easily subdues the bad guys, stealing their car and returning to Fielder. This time he holds Fielder at gunpoint and forces him to take him to the secret elevator and finally to see Parks himself. Parks, although actually a recluse, is also being held prisoner and hasn't been out of his luxury cell in years. Dan convinces him that he wants to leave this room and convinces him it can be done by showing him that he's the Invisible Man after first getting Parks to pinky swear that he'll never tell. Builder has no intention of letting Dan go free, but because Dan is the Invisible Man, he overpowers Fielder and he and Parks just walk out of the penthouse and have Fielder arrested. The end. Okay, um, little bit of, um, I wouldn't exactly say, not, not pilotitis, but definitely we had a little bit of exposition there that was kind of unnecessary. 
to remind the viewers of of the situation because not only was it in the opening credits in text saying you know he'll he's permanently invisible and he's needs the clay Re, uh, corporation to to give him money so he can mm-hmm. become but then his wife is like why dan you know we have a contract so that the clay corporation will continue to give you money to research your invisibility problem in exchange for us doing some work for them from time to time <laughs> <laughs> I thought, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, everybody was going to forget everything from one week to the next, you know, as they, they huddle around their uh, their hand-cranked television sets in the dark with the flickering candlelight because there was no energy in 1975. Well, this was actually, I think, a few months later. Oh, okay. After, yeah, I, after I don't the, know what the, the air dates were. Yeah, but I was, I was going to say, in all reality, I think they would show the... Uh, the pilots for some of these shows earlier as what were they movies of the week or something yeah. like that? Or, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, everybody forgot, you know, so ooh, what is this brand new show? <laughs> it's it's the invisible man. <laughs> it's <laughs> familiar. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, we have a new Walter Carlson. Yes. That threw me for a minute, but there there you go. This one's a little uh nicer, I think. Uh, I wouldn't say he's better, but I mean he's he seems to be a more personable, uh, probably a little bit like the the change that went in Oscar Goldman from the earlier ones to. Yeah, the, I like the original one. He, oh, he, I like the actor better. The yeah, well, and also better. I think that that the way he was playing him was you know definitely uh, possibly more devious. Uh, that is true. Yeah, that is true. And that was Jackie Cooper. The, the famous Jackie Cooper. This is Craig Stevens, Peter Gunn himself. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that was his that was his big, uh, big TV starring role as as Peter Gunn. Um, I, I'm going to get this out on the table first. Mm hmm. Um, I, you know, when I got these DVDs a couple of years ago, I think. I didn't watch them. I watched the first couple of episodes. So I watched the pilot. I watched this one. So I have this, and I think I'll watch the next one. And um, I had not seen this show since 1975. And I, I I, don't even remember how regularly I watched it. But, but I definitely did watch it. And I have to say, this show, even though the, the issues came up last time in the pilot where we were talking about Dan running around naked and it was cold and everything. I mean, they made a point of it. In this episode, he's standing on a craps table, swinging his junk in the faces of the people who are. And the moment that image is in your mind, it is hard to take the rest of the episode very seriously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I had to stop the DVD. I was laughing so hard at, at this, at this image because it comes in two waves. The first wave is when she goes, how are you around the table? It's all so crowded like this. And he goes, I'm standing on the table. And they point the camera up towards the ceiling. Right. And you're envisioning this pair of legs towering over you like Ultraman. Yeah, exactly. Except it's naked. Exactly. <laughs> And then, that's wave one, but the second part is, when the dice move, you know he's had to bend over. Yes, exactly. He's, he's, <laughs> now he's uh, sticking his butt in their face. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully so, he didn't have anything that uh, was abusive to his digestive system for lunch. Exactly. Because <laughs> he's going to literally blow his cover. <laughs> the fact that they're throwing dice at the table and she didn't know he was on the table or the fact that the croupiers are running sticks out there and grabbing the dice uh, yeah I i'm mean, thinking how did they not hit his ankles i'm thinking he's actually like standing on the edges of the table what where all the people are leaning i guess maybe he's he's got his knees in i don't know he's <laughs> hanging from the chandelier i don't know he's, he's hanging He's hanging from the chandelier. Okay. He's he's Fair hitting enough. the dice with an invisible stick. I don't know. Uh, I just, uh, very first episode, or ver I'm sorry, very first uh, scene of the show, you just see the, the disembodied book floating there. And it's like, okay, so he just hangs around the lab stark naked. Okay. Yep. That's not very safe if you've got chemicals in there. Oh, they do. Hmm. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Ouch. Man. Fair, fair enough. And I, I thought that... 
you know, I, I've got the impression from the pilot that he does not enjoy being invisible. Yeah. But, well, that it, that it is unpleasant in, in that you don't know where your hands are. And right. You, Maybe. And frankly, I would be, I would be uncomfortable hanging around the, the lab naked, whether it had chemicals or not. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. not natural. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I mean, it is, uh-huh. but it isn't. You know what I mean. And, you know, it might be kind of chilly in there, too. Right. Uh, go call Walter. Get the air conditioning turned up to a higher temperature. Yes, I can't exactly. take it in here. I've got goosebumps. Really? How can you tell? You know, maybe he's, uh, he's intentionally being invisible more so he gets a better feeling of where his, his body is. Could be. Better kinesis. It could be. To, uh, um, so he doesn't run into stuff. I mean, he does have to take the thing off sometimes, and I I could see that. But you know something? I think I wouldn't take my clothes off. At least wear the lab coat and shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, you know. Yeah, you could have your hands free and your face free, and you could just be a walking lab coat around the room or something. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know how I would react in that situation, but I don't think I'd want to run around naked. Uh, It just... But, I mean, it clearly establishes that he is invisible. Yep. So, no offense or buts. You paid to see the invisible man and see the invisible man you will. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yes. He's asleep now, but trust me, he's in there. Yeah. He's, the, he's not making any noise, but he is definitely. Um, I also thought there was this kind of odd, and I also think it's plot, it's pilot explain us, where, well, Walter needs us. Right now. Well, tell him we'll be there in 45 minutes. No, he said we need him there now. Well, I, I have to do my work here. I'm reading this book. And she's like, well, you know, I mean, he pays. And this is where she gives the exposition about yeah. paying the bills. But it's also that kind of, that kind of, well, I can't be solving my problem if I'm spending my time jaunting around the world. So they're kind of setting it up here that he is still reluctant to do this. And yet once he got going, he didn't seem very reluctant. Yeah, as soon as he heard what needed to be done, it was like, oh yeah, piece of cake. Although I do think he is absolutely, utterly irresponsible of taking his wife along on this. Yeah, but it wouldn't be much of a TV show then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's The Responsible heart heart. Invisible Man. That's the next series. <laughs> you mean the responsible guy who didn't test an experimental procedure yeah. on himself? Yeah, I was going to say, it never actually got off the uh, table because the script was like a paragraph long. <laughs> um, when did Howard Hughes die? Uh, I'm I meant not to look sure. It up. Um, I meant to look it up. Uh, late, early 80s? I don't know. Oh, 76. So short... So he died in 76, so shortly yeah. after this. Mm-hmm. I wonder how Howard Hughes felt about being, let's, let's say, parodied fairly regularly. In t- I mean, he's, he's Willard White in uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's Lionel Parks here. I have no idea. I, I don't know if there was a lot of... Uh... If there were any interviews with him or anything like that towards the end of his life, I mean, he was a serious recluse. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, and and well, and so is Lionel Parks. But I mean, it, it's really a thinly veiled Howard Hughes. Mm-hmm. As as is Willard White in Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, it's just absolutely no no holes bar. This is Howard Hughes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We're just not going to use his name, but. Uh, if we can get away with it, we'll probably even use one of the hotels he lives in as our stock footage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a good look at, at any of the hotels that were uh, uh, shown uh, when they did the pans around the, uh, Vegas. Not that I could really recognize any of them now anyways. It's so much change there. Beautifully old Vegas. Wow. I, I was the Cairn am- Airport in the desert. I, yeah, I was going to say, I was amazed that when the aircraft flew in to land at McCarran that there was like nothing around it. it's like oh wow that's it's not like that now <laughs> oh no we had this discussion uh simon and i when we were talking about the night stalker because that was also shot even earlier than this mm, and right. you know it, it vegas is so different now 
Vegas was so different by the 80s than it was in the 70s. And I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's unrecognizable now. And it just stretches forever across the desert. But it used to be, a, 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 let's call it an oasis in the desert. You know, man-made one, but, but nonetheless. And, you know, they've torn down all the old hotels, I think. I don't know that there's any left. Hmm. The Sahara's gone. The, is the Tropicana still there? E, yes, I think the so. The roads are, you know, like... <clears throat> yeah. But uh, the dunes, that's gone. Yeah, I didn't recognize I didn't recognize the, the hotel. It may not have even been a Vegas hotel that they shot the picture of. They certainly didn't go to Vegas to shoot this because that was the worst casino set I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. That one, that was not convincing. But... No. Speaking of Vegas, before we get to the to the plot, I didn't ask. Did you enjoy the episode? Yeah, it was good. I liked it. Yeah, I, it was, I, it was it entertaining. Was, it was entertaining diversion for the for the hour. I wasn't grossly offended by it after I caught my breath from laughing so hard at uh, <laughs> the Invisible <laughs> Willie. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, one thing that that kind of caught my my mind when I was mm-hmm. going over this is first off is how, 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 how can you, even if you were standing there and you were willing to touch the ball, how could you rig roulette? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm I not sure. cannot envision what it is that he did with his hand to make that ball go where it needed to go. I mean, I can almost see it like moving one or two numbers left or maybe right, but yeah. How would you go across the table? If exactly. That's what it took? How exactly. would your How is your hand-eye coordination fast enough to even spot the, the number s- the number that it needs to go into? I mean, if mm-hmm. the ball is comes down on the far side of that wheel and you're looking at the ball and trying to spot where that number, I, I you know, not credible. Uh, well, yeah, but, not a know. credible technique for an invisible man nor was standing on the craps table and flipping the (laughs) dice but when they said his wife was not a gambler they were absolutely right Mm -hmm. and neither was dan obviously because he did not know how to work this so how are you at craps and roulette um i think i've played roulette once maybe twice okay Uh, not successful in craps um once for couple hours okay so in roulette so they start with roulette Mm -hmm. if you hit exactly in roulette you win 35 to 1 yeah okay so we watched her hit three in a row and the guy said she's won over seventy thousand dollars now i did the math Mm -hmm. that means she bet somewhere well she probably made a two dollar initial bet because at two dollars after three wins, you'd be at $85,000. All right. Okay. That's big money back then. Yes, it $2. was. $2. She won another one before they shut the table down. That That's puts right. her at $3 million. <laughs> oh, $1,250. Okay. So roulette, big money. So she walked away from the roulette table with $3 million. And she goes to craps where you can win some decent odd money but you cannot if all dan does is make you hit sevens every time because if you hit sevens on your initial roll you get two to one you get your you get yeah, for a two dollar yeah. bet you get four dollars mm-hmm. now she hit seven 12 times in a row <laughs> because that's what they said to the boss and said, she's won over a hundred thousand dollars. So that means she took her $3 million, walked the crap table and bet $25 (laughs) and doubled that every, and doubled it every time until she made about $102,000. And later when they're, when, uh, Fielder is talking to him and says, you won over $100,000. He's like, no, she won over $3 million, dude. You would know that. (laughs) Yeah. You you would definitely know that. And it made me wonder, at first, when I stopped it after they did the roulette, Mm -hmm. and I I went and looked it up, because I don't know what the odds are on roulette, personally. 
Uh, and I, I looked it up on the internet, got the numbers, did the math, and go, oh, okay, she must have started out with like a $1.50 or $2 bet to get to that number. And it depends on how exact the, the floor manager was when he said, oh, she's won over $70,000. Mm-hmm. It's okay, you know. Um, if it had been a $1 bet, she wouldn't have been anywhere close. She'd been in the 40s. So it had to be more than that. But obviously I could see if you were running that table, you would, you would you would close it down because that's that's insane loss. So I thought, hey, the writer must know what he's talking about. But then he goes over to the craps table and she plays it wrong to win big. And now we're talking about chicken scratch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. like, I don't know where you would go after roulette, but I would imagine that there is something else that is higher percentage return than craps that you could manipulate. I seem to remember somebody told me once that uh, when you're looking at the house odds, craps is the best one to play. Craps is not bad. That's right. If and you roulette's if, horrible. Roulette is horrible. Even if you play it safe. Yeah. Roulette is horrible. Right. You're still I mean, gonna... you you can literally bet. I will bet two dollars on black and two dollars on red, and you can <laughs> bet all day and you will still lose. Yeah. Because of green. Yeah, exactly. The zero and the double zero. Yeah, that gives the house just a slight advantage. So you you can't even hedge hedge your bets and win. But of course, thirty five to one win is the allure. Yes. So that was I thought that was a a, a little wet. I did think that there was some amusing funny bits in the episode. Like Kate is a cheap tipper. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. I don't know how much those uh, pink chips were, but they probably weren't much. I don't know. They weren't much. Well, you know, I don't know. Bucks. I don't know. I don't know. If I'd been running your roulette table and you just won $3 million. Yeah, I, know. I, I don't care if that was a $10 chip. I'm thinking you could have tipped better. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to expect. I mean, I don't know what you tip in, in Vegas. I have not done a whole lot of gambling in Vegas myself. And... Uh, and and certainly not done it won three million dollars so it's just uh, I don't know what the protocol is there but everybody she handed a tip to looked underwhelmed mm-hmm. and even I know that twenty five cents for taking your luggage up even in nineteen seventy five must have been pretty stingy yeah didn't he say something about uh, should have been a waiter or something like that I didn't catch yeah, I didn't he catch made some he quip as he was being. As the camera is moving him off screen. Although, to be fair, I think right now, isn't it a dollar a bag for a busboy? I have no idea. So I think it would only would have been four or five dollars for them anyway. But still, you know, you could just tell by the way he, he looked at it that, come on, this is... <laughs> I also think that Dan should have easier to remove clothing. It should be like tearaway. Something, right? I mean, I get the turtleneck. Mm-hmm. Because it saves him from having to have a neck appliance. But it's a terrible thing to... I, I, yeah. I, I get why he has to wear it, and yet at the same time, it's like the socks. I, I would wear slippers if I could, but somebody might see your ankles. Yeah. He should wear so, like a um, a jumpsuit. Yeah, something you zip and just pull out or... Yeah. yeah I don't know. Sure, it might uh, look kind of odd, but, you know, well, whatever. <laughs> I also thought his whole taking his clothes off routine in the back of the car was pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. Didn't I mean if if I were if I were in that position, I think I would do everything I could to get as much of my clothes off as I could before I slid down onto the floor and yeah. drew their attention. Yeah, exactly, you know. Uh take the jacket off, then the uh shoes, socks, pants, yeah, the pants and, then, and stuff could have gone a long yeah, time. Yeah, and then then dip down and, and take the head off real quick. And after you've, you know, uh, and then the uh, the shirt and you're done. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and of course, the contact lenses and the caps for his teeth and all that stuff. But yeah. We, he hides those in a secret pocket in his in the uh, mask. So that's okay. That could be. You know, that's why he's got the turtleneck. He yeah. actually oh, has his uh, belt utility uh, neck piece, utility necklace with uh, stuff in it. Good point. So how does the clay resource work? The Department of Energy has come to the clay corporation and say, hey, we hear you've got this really amazing thing that 
can do some amazing stuff. We don't know what it is, but could we use it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's obvious that this is not his first rodeo. He has done espionage work in the past. Apparently, you know, yes. A couple months between the, the pilot and this. He's gone on a number of missions and a number of uh, government uh, three-letter acronyms uh, agencies are very interested in what he can do. Why they just haven't tried to take him, I don't know. But hey, mm, good point. Well, of course, yeah, just hire if, him. If off. they took him, well, yeah, I guess you could try to hire him off. Sure, um, but we already know that he hates the military, so. I don't know. It would be interesting to see if he has any qualms about certain types of jobs. Hmm. I mean, this job was kind of a rescue. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I mean, you, you could argue that either Parks is still alive, in which case he's, you know, being a jerk. And we go back to the energy department and say, too bad. Yep. He wants to sell to the Arabs. What are you going to do about it? Or, you know, he's dead or he's and it's fraud or he's. A prisoner and it's kidnapping and fraud so mm -hmm. there's no uh, we're gonna destroy the world or uh, kill somebody or anything like that in this story so we, we might see that as time goes on that, that maybe that's why the military lets him stay at the clay corporation yeah it could be like he, he won't work for you and he will work for us but we'll we'll cherry pick the assignments so that might be his reasoning i what do you think about the voice <laughs> technology that they, um, they tried to pass off in this? It was interesting as he was typing, it was making noises, which I guess you could say were phenomes. So, you know, uh, sections of human sound we used mm -hmm. for voice. And yeah, if you could run them all together, you can get something that sounds like a person out of it, I suppose. You like know, and then Siri. you. Well, thinking back to my old, you know, high school days of my Commodore 64, there was a, uh, a voice synthesizer that if you typed in words, it would say them out. And, badly. Uh, it, yeah, badly. But as you learned how the software worked, you could make certain adjustments to certain letter <laughs> you characters. You spell things. Very, yeah, very like. badly. So the computer would actually say it correctly. Yeah, so, yeah, I kind of... You know, I thought see that, but I mean it's it's obviously nothing that's beyond the the realm of theoretical possibility because we we do in fact have Siri and Alexa. They build their mm -hmm. they build their speech from a library of phonemes and nothing new there. But there's two questions now that, that come to my mind. Then the first is, and this is a nitpick, when Dan was typing it was making really slow sounds. Mm-hmm. But when he would type faster, when he typed a little faster, it sounded more natural. And when he typed really fast, it sounded normal. Right. <laughs> it's like, would, I don't think it would work like that. Probably not. <laughs> but, you know, it's half-hour yeah. TV show or hour TV yeah. show, and got to get that stuff done. The second <laughs> one is... If you were to take your speech and digitize it, mm -hmm. turn it into the phonemes, and then, which, which is exactly what they do for Siri, they have a person sit down and do hundreds of sounds for them to build mm -hmm. up this library. They, they do it. This is that. The woman who is Siri, at least in the U.S., is this this woman and it does apparently sound like her recognizable to the people who know her oh yeah i think i heard something on npr about that yeah the yeah. question is because it's just a recording of her voice would that fool a voice analyzer i don't know how a voice analyzer works so i don't know well, I mean, I mean I, every voice is as unique as a fingerprint. <laughs> well, so they said on the science fiction TV show, yes. <laughs> I mean, they're just, uh, you know, a waveform. So possibly, sure. Why not? Yeah, I was, I, I, I thought about that. I said, would it, would it be different because it's a recorded sound? I mean, you've worked with audio. You know that when you look at sound that has been recorded, if it is not fantastic fidelity it 
the waveforms don't look the same. I mean, I get that when right. I do some of the podcasts and I get, you know, my side and the remote host side and compare the audio and that the, the waveforms are similar, but, but not the same. Right. Because they've been in effect filtered. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's probably a reason. Yeah. There's probably a reason why we don't have uh, voice print identification for security stuff. You know, like what was that movie? Sneakers. You know, my voice is my password. We don't have that uh, because either it's too difficult or it's too easy to spoof. Well, we'll, we'll have it in 2027 by the time Starcops is around. I hope but, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's I think we're going to have a we're going to be in a, a situation on these where there's probably not a whole lot of depth on, on these yeah, episodes. Yeah. But um, well, also but, remember, I'm getting back to the voice ident- or voice print thing. You know, this is a uh, society that has disintegration beams. That's true. So <laughs> let's true. not forget that. <clears throat> they are ho hum about disintegration. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I got another like, reason. Hmm. We got another matter disintegrator. Build me something useful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things that I do want to bring about on this while I'm while I'm thinking about it, while I've got it here right in front of me, right, is the weird pedigree of this show. Okay. The writer of this episode is Stephen Bochco, mm-hmm. creator of such shows you may have heard of, like. Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, Doogie Frickin' Hauser M. Frickin' D, and The Gemini Man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't know the last one. That's funny as heck. It it it. That is an Emmy Award-winning writer and mm-hmm. creator. Right. The producer is Leslie Stevens. That's the man behind The Outer Limits. Hmm. Wow. Also, Buck Rogers in the 25th century is one of the shows he was prominent on. And another one called The Gemini Man. Hmm. Um, executive producer and also co-creator of the pilot uh, of the movie, co-writer uh, pilot, Harv Bennett. You, you're going to know that name from The Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, Salvage One, Star Trek 2 through 5, and The Gemini Man. Hmm. Um, I, I notice a trend here. They all seem to work in TV. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, director of photography. Did you notice the name? No, I didn't. Enzo A. Martinelli. Hmm. It's a distinct enough name that I had to go look because it's like, wow, I have seen that name. You know, director of photography, Enzo Martinelli, ASC. I said, I have seen that name where? So I looked it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, amongst being, I think, the principal... Uh, Director of Photography on The Monsters. <laughs> also, Battlestar Galactica, Quincy M.E., The Hardy Boys, The Bionic Woman, The Six Million Dollar Man, Adam-12, and The Gemini Man. And <laughs> all, These are all heavy hitters, including that last one. That's just an <laughs> epic. I know. And the music. Well, that I recognize. Henry Mancini. Yeah. Like The Pink Panther, Moon River. Uh, TV shows like Newhart, Remington Steel, the NBC Nightly News theme, the Mystery Movie theme, and, and, here's one, he was not involved in the Gemini Man. Oh, their loss, that's why the show didn't succeed. That is why that show did not make it, when <laughs> this one did so well. But I mean, it's just, it's like looking at this listing going, how, how did this group of people with this pedigree produce something this sort of, eh, well, you know, it's just the uh, kind of, you know, the, the day job stuff they have. I and guess. what they're all uh, employed by Universal. Was that the that's the yes, it is production company. This. Yeah. So, you know, they just assigned these and there you go. The, the Universal team. <laughs> Although it's funny. Henry Mancini didn't just do the theme. He did the music for the episode. The incidental. Oh, all the incidental. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I thought it was, before I realized, before I remembered it was Henry Mancini that had done the theme, when they were in the casino, I was actually impressed because they were playing real music. They were yes. playing The Girl from Ipanema. Yeah. Some, you know. And there was another one that I didn't write down, but I was like, huh, usually, usually shows don't do that. Usually they make lounge music that is 
fake. Yeah, pretty right? banal. But this was just like, huh, that is actually the girl from Ipanema, which is a, a cool tune. It wasn't a great rendition of it, but it was... It was right. A, it was, uh, and I'm guessing that, obviously, that must have been Henry Mancini's uh, ding, although he didn't do the girl from Ipanema. If he had, it would have been perfect, but he did not. Right. And I don't think he did the other song either, but I can't remember from the no, what I it was. No, I can't remember what it was either. It's an old classic. It was an old classic. Um, when they were in the bar there at the end. But um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, paycheck's a paycheck. Paycheck's a paycheck. <laughs> I guess so. You know, and if somebody's saying, you know, we're going to pay you this much money to make some music. Uh, it's like, oh, okay. And, you know, eat. you just you just have to be sitting there and the recorder's going and you, you do a, a, a rendition of Girlfriend Ipanema and it's like, Hmm, okay, let's put that one out there. I'd like to think, I really would, I know it's it's not this simplistic, but I would like to think that, like, Henry Mancini and and the DP and all these people, it's not just a job. That I, I doesn't, not necessarily that they're vested in the invisible man, but that they oh, enjoy they take what pride they do. Work. Oh, yeah. yeah that they yeah. enjoy what they do. It's like, I get up in the morning because I'm a director of photography, and that's a cool job. Oh, or... yeah. I mean, just the <laughs> fact that these all these people have worked on all those shows and, you know, probably dozens of other ones that weren't Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, recorded. yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I just went... Yeah, I you don't do that because, oh, the... I hate my job. I'm going to go make a movie today. No, it doesn't work like that. I've known a, a couple people in production and, nope, they love it. It is they the best it. job in the world. Man, I tend so... to agree with them for the most part. I mean, it's a pretty cool, cool gig if you can do it. If you can get it, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I just, yeah, I didn't go through their whole list. These people have big, oh, big yeah. lists of credits. I just picked out, you know, the ones that, you know, the important ones like Salvage One and Dookie Hauser. Oh, Salvage and, One. Uh, there we go. You can be doing that series, Salvage One. If I could get the DVDs, <laughs> man, I, don't I was, think I was it's so enamored by that show in what second grade, third grade? I forget what it was. I don't remember what it was, but I. Yeah, I, the pilot, the movie was fantastic. The series, mm, yeah, <laughs> lost me when it turned out they weren't going to go in space every week. Mm, yeah, yep. But uh, anyway, um, security systems. All right, I was wondering how far it would be before the Invisible Man got tripped by something, mm-hmm. pressure plate in the floor, um. So then it sees IR. And then there's yeah. a question. There's a question for you. Obviously, he must be generating heat. Yes. Yeah, he so has to be. So he would be visible to IR. Yeah, unless for some weird reason it shifted to another part of the spectrum, which that could be problems all of its own, I'm sure. How would he work then with UV light at the other end of the I think spectrum? he'd be very, very embarrassed. Because <laughs> somebody would say, hey, who's that naked guy over there? Yeah. I, I, I know, for example, you, you, I'm, I'm putting this to you as the expert. I know, for example, because you convinced me to even try it once, which is yeah. infrared film. Yeah, yeah. That you can snap infrared film. And obviously you can get an infrared attachment for your iPhone now I, and you can I, shoot. You have one. I modified one of my digital SLRs to be solely infrared. It only sees infrared light. In fact, I had it up last weekend, taking taking pictures of uh, trees and stuff. Yeah, works great. Okay, can you? Is there a way to do that with UV light? Sure, sure. Is there? Uh, I mean, yeah. The the, uh, the uh, image sensors are sensitive to a bit of UV radiation. They're not going to be as sensitive as they would be for infrared or for visible light, but they will pick it up. Uh, in fact. Um, there's a filter. It's uh, I think it's the 1A filter. It's the UV skylight, and um, it will get rid of some of the haze in pictures. Uh, you know, in with traditional film because it filters out UV radiation. I think it's a slight magenta tint to it. That that is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. You can get UV video equipment and still equipment. You know, digital and and. Uh, traditional chemistry photography now, I no forgot, problem i forgot what they said he tripped i don't think they said it was a pressure plate i think no they... it was the 
the infrared or the heat sensor. It, yeah, it was definitely something with with heat. I think they said a heat sensor. Yeah. Right. I think you said they said it was a heat sensor. Okay, so that's essentially infrared. Mm, now do here's a question. Motion sensors, would they detect him? How, what do they use? Well, uh, modern ones, uh, they use something called a PIR, which is a passive infrared sensor. So it's, infra- it's heat. Right, and that looks for the difference between one sample and the next uh, from what it can sense heat-wise. If there's too much of a change, then it trips the alarm. What about uh, electric eyes? Uh, electric eyes, that was simply a, a light and a photo cell, usually a solar cell or selenium cell. So presumably he would not trigger that. Yeah, yeah. So he could, I think, he could walk through the classic web of laser beams guarding the statue in the museum with no problem, especially if there were red lasers, which are very convenient for the thieves because they just have to produce some smoke and boom, you're done. Yeah, what if it was like a a, a blue or, you know, one of those nasty ones? <laughs> I guess it would go through. I mean, we don't know... Uh, where his visibility stops you know does it stop just outside of visible uh, uh wavelength on both ends on the blue and the red end or or what hmm. i mean Interesting. if if it didn't and he walked through a particularly strong infrared laser he would be burned okay yep that would he would absorb that oh there was another thing that crossed my mind uh, while I was watching the episode, when he went into Fielder's office, mm-hmm. I thought, hey, wait, Fielder's smoking a cigar. Yeah. Walking through smoke. Yep. That's going to be a problem. Make a void. Uh, and yeah, then if- I thought, wait, 1975 <laughs> Casino in Vegas? Oh, I know it was missing in that picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and plus, when they released the gas inside the computer room, Oh yeah, yeah. There yeah. would have been a a void wherever he was. It would the smoke would not be as dense, so you could make him quite easy easily that way. Yeah, what was that smoke? Tear gas? Uh, uh magic knockout gas. Didn't knock That's him out. Guess. No, it didn't. <laughs> I, I don't know what it was supposed to be. Made him cry later on and cough a bit. Coughing gas. Yeah, you know, it's it's probably was supposed to be tear gas. Those guys just ran in there with with uh you know, riot masks on, so. Well, you know something, tear gas is more believable, frankly. I yeah, mean, it is. Every it show is. you ever see where they go, oh, release the knockout gas, it's like, yeah, there is no such thing. No. no. <laughs> tear gas, yeah, that will incapacitate you fast. Knockout gas will just kill you. Uh, apparently, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you drink, if you breathe too much of it, you will just die. Yes, as has been found out at least once in the real world. So I'm thinking, uh, thinking you definitely. That's why you have an anesthesiologist that's a pro mm-hmm. for that stuff uh, working. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Unless it's made by the Hand Wavium Corporation of America, then it's great stuff. Works oh yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And it's usually a pink cloud, as seen in uh, series two through four of the Wild Wild West. Oh, okay. Uh, pink or blue, so that you can not that see uh, the value of that color TV. Not that really, really uh, rich. Uh, a burnt umber uh, color that they have in in British uh, TV shows when they need smoke. You know what I'm talking about? That that almost impenetrable kind of a yellowish green brown cloud of smoke that just billows out, and covers everything. It's just literally London fog that they bottled <laughs> up. And uh... I heard whatever that stuff was was fantastic. The guys making the shows loved it. But anybody who had to work around it hated it because it was horrible. Uh, you couldn't breathe it. Uh, it was just really, really noxious, too. You just you didn't want to be in it too long. But it looked great on camera. Well, that's all that matters on TV. But, yeah, there you go. Everything else is just incidental. B- before they had health and safety. Yep. Yeah, that, maybe that's why we don't see it anymore. I, that's exactly why, yeah. And that- there is, um, speaking of irresponsible taking your wife on a dangerous uh, assignment uh we're still kind of getting that lovey sexy banter Mm -hmm. between them yeah that's nice um yeah i mean like i i alluded to it earlier it's no heart to heart right that show kind of got it but that was the central premise so 
this one, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced that sometimes it's the time and place for some of that <laughs> that they were doing. Um, also, oh, you know, crack about her and the the luggage. Oh, and only tipping the guy a quarter. Well, no, when when so oh when oh came, yeah when he left, she goes, "Why did he assume I was your wife?" And probably because they checked in as Mister and Mrs. Weston, but I, you know. Hmm. <laughs> Probably, but but also, you know, he says that's because you came here for a couple of days. You've got enough luggage for weeks, which is a you know a terrible thing to say. And um, but of course, they just turn that around and he goes, "Well, you wouldn't want me to run out of clothes." He says, "Last time you came here, you only had a a long dress and a bikini. A long dress and a bikini, yeah." Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, but they never, never left, left the room. room. Okay. <laughs> But that's not why you're here now. <laughs> Remember, she's not a professional spy. She's a scientist. But they've been doing it for a while. Yeah, true, true. Also, also, speaking of that, so they're in the back of the car uh, being taken to the farm. I cannot believe he fell for that. <laughs> yeah. They literally said, we're taking you to the farm. And he's like, okay, take me to the farm. Like, no, no, no. That's like the farm in upstate New York. Where they take mm-hmm. the dogs. That's the farm. That's <laughs> where they keep the pigs. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, you don't. That was code. That was not very well coded message to to Homer on the phone. Take him to the to the farm. Yeah. But they get there and uh, open the door. They can't find him. He beats the guys up. She gets the gun. She nearly shoots him. Uh, which, you know, is a very real possibility when you've got an invisible man around. Oh, yeah. And because she accidentally fired the gun, the uh, one of the mobsters says to the first one, he says, we better do what she says. She means business. Really? <laughs> that was somebody you thought meant business? That was somebody who obviously accidentally fired a gun because she's so damn nervous about what she's doing. And then as they're running, running, walking away, what does she say? Something like, and if you guys turn around, I'll put a bullet in your something. Or blast you or something like that. Blast you or something like that. And then she turns to Dan and she says, did I say that right? (laughs) Come on. That that bit of script writing wasn't the best. That was, that was not like, where did you draw that line from? Did you think that you had to get that line exactly right? I think you've seen enough gangster films in your life. I don't even like gangster films, and I've seen enough gangster films in my life to know that doesn't matter. You're pointing a gun at their back. All right. Do you have anything uh, on, on this? Uh... Uh, there was a typo in the credits. There was a limbo driver. Not a limo, a limbo driver. He seemed limber. Could be. Could be. He would need to be limber to be a limbo driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was about it. You were paying attention. Yeah. Oh, and the uh, I did notice that there were some special effects, or, sorry, some sound effects that uh, I know from The Six Million Dollar Man and Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the kind of generic computer sound, that noise in the background. Yep, both of those. So Universal? I'm going to guess that, yeah, exactly. They're part of the Universal Sound Effect Library. Yeah, that, there's no doubt there. Yeah. I, I it, it still amazes me how many classic sound effects you hear that get reused mm-hmm. over and over again. Yep. I We were watching, my kids and I were watching um, Ultraman Dinah today. And I was so proud of my kids because... They're flying along in the spacecraft, and and Michelle turns to me and she says, "Those are, those are Star Trek noises from the bridge, aren't they?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, yes, they are." Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, it's, that's it's, a, it's a the it's the proud bridge moment uh, nerd screen. father's life boop, 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 across the yeah yeah. I was like, "Oh, I'm so proud of you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the little nerdlings haven't fallen far from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, that's all I got. Yep. That's about it. Oh, uh, one other thing. Uh, I do kind of like the uh, the cinema verte that they use whenever you're getting 
uh, Dan's point of view when he's invisible. You know, the kind of handheld, wavering shot type stuff to, to tell you that you're, look, you're looking at it as if you were the invisible man. I like that. I don't know why, but I, I just like it. Yeah, they use that in the in the movie as mm-hmm. well. Yep. I, I guess it's a, a I guess it's a reasonable uh, way to to actually save themselves a little work. Yeah, you don't have to have like more chairs being pulled out or pencils being moved or something like that to show that there's action going on in an otherwise completely empty set. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that's actually good. I I normally am not a huge fan of handheld camera work, but it has you its know, when place it, when it has its place and yep. that yep. that and is this its is place. it yeah that and deranged uh, uh drug-addled starfleet captains running down corridors yeah it's good for that too it's good for that one too so yeah you get that <clears throat> <laughs> in that case um i don't know what the next episode is off the top of my head because <laughs> research seriously no um, i don't know what that is either <laughs> oh the fine art of diplomacy the fine art of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, John, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, we'll look at the Beast's episode, Baby, I hope you'll join me, Eugene. And me, Simon, as we discuss whether mysterious mummies shouldn't happen to a vet and why this particular vet shouldn't have happened to this expectant mummy. Please come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.